Let's be cream donuts after the service because we have deemed that you do not have enough sugar in your life, and so we want to rectify that today. So after the service, grab a donut, meet a friend. It's going to be great. Uh, before we get into our message, just a couple uh, quick announcements. Um, again, reminder, next week, very, very cool. Mark Buchanan, I'm telling you once, I've told you twice, be here. You want to hear him, 10 a.m. Uh, great teacher, one of my favorite teachers, actually, and his books are excellent. Uh, bring some cash along. You could buy one of his books if you'd like to. I think there's going to be some books on sale next week. Uh, so that's great. We're going to be introducing, through Mark next week, our summer series, or at least most of our summer, we're going to be uh, teaching on the theme of encountering the presence of Jesus. Encountering Jesus. Encounters with Jesus is what it's called. And uh, it's going to be great. We're going to be looking at those moments in the New Testament where Jesus met individuals and had a tra transformative effect on their lives. It's going to be really, really good. Our prayer is that we wouldn't just learn more content about Jesus, but that each of us, through this summer, would go on a journey of actually encountering Jesus in a fresh way. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, I mean some of us need to learn more. Some, some of you, you're not very far along in the Bible. Some of us just need to actually meet Jesus more. And uh, we're going to do both this summer. I hope that's going to be our experience. I uh, want to pray, ask you to pray uh, for our church. We're going through this rezoning process with a city. Just going to give you the quick timeline of it. Actually, tomorrow night, our rezoning of our property next door and uh, prepping our property to actually uh, have accessible parking, that goes before the city of Coquitlam tomorrow. Tomorrow night, that gets its first reading. And uh, uh, neighbors may or may not be there for that initial reading. Some of our leaders will be there for that initial reading. And then three weeks from now on July 8th, uh, it goes to a public hearing. And so that's really significant. So if there's people in our community that are not happy about, how, happy about a church in their neighborhood or an institution in their neighborhood, uh, we, we share a laneway. Part of the why we encourage you to go slow down our laneways because they share that and we want to love on our neighbors and uh, sometimes they can get annoyed with us when there's lots of traffic in the neighborhood and those kind of things. And so would you be praying for this whole process? This property is God's property. We want to use it for his purposes. We want to bless the world through it. And, uh, but man, this whole rezoning thing is a Herculean task. And I want to ask uh, Ron Hansen to stand up right now. If anybody has any questions about this, about our rezoning process, you can talk to this guy. Stand, keep standing. No, I, keep standing. And let me finish. <laughs> Let's pray for him right now, because he's been leading this on behalf of our church, and it's a burden to carry. And so would, let's just pause and pray for Ron. Lord, thank you for his leadership in this, him along with the ops team, present, uh, going through all this paperwork, applying for grants, uh, applying for funding, doing all these things. Lord, you've been so gracious. And uh, it's been through his massive efforts and his thoughtfulness that we're as far as we are today. And so we want to pray your blessing and you refill Ron and, and uh, just that he might sense that, that uh, you care about things like parking lots. <laughs> you care about your people having a place to park on Sunday mornings. And so we actually pray for Ron that he might experience you uh, giving him uh, just encouragement for all he's done. Lord, you'd pay him back a thousandfold for his efforts, I pray. And God, we would together also pray for this rezoning process. Uh, would you not grant us your favor, Lord, on our neighbors and neighborhood? Uh, 
we so badly want to bless our neighbors, our actual literal neighbors as well. And so help us as a church to do that. And I pray for just uh, city councilors and those who are in the city staff who are making significant decisions around this. Uh, you know, with a, a stroke of a pen, they can cost us tens of thousands of dollars. And so we pray for grace and mercy and that this rezoning would go smoothly by your hand, Lord. You'd, you'd, you'd see it happen, Father, we pray. We thank you for these, these, these very good deeds and ask uh, your hand in them. In Jesus' name, we all ask. God's people said... Amen. Amen. All right. We're, I think that's announcements this morning. That's it. We're done. All right. We're in our, uh, wrapping up our series on Jonah this morning. Anybody named Jonah here this morning? We had a Jonah in the first service, and so, you know, they felt like it was a very personal message just for them. So, a bit, bit awkward, but uh, Jonah, the book of Jonah is a strange, strangely wonderful book with all kinds of surprises. You might remember we've got this prophet of God who rebels, pagan sailors who convert, this great fish who swallows said prophet and then spews, uh, Ninevites who repent, even the cows repent. It's got all these twists in the story, so it shouldn't be a shock to us that the last chapter of the book of Jonah has, has one of the most surprising and unexpected endings, final chapters, of just any book in the Bible. You remember what happened last time? Jonah enters Nineveh and he preaches this real simple, you might even say lame six-word sermon, and the strangest thing happens. People listen, and people respond, and people's hearts get broken, and their, their eyes fill with tears because the Spirit of God has come on them, and they're convicted of, of their sin. And there's literally this national repentance, this turning back to God that happens. Just an aside, I, I wonder, when, when's the last time you were really convicted of sin in your life and, and you had this sense of, of God moving in you? Not, not in an unhealthy way, but of God moving in you, just breaking you, just reaching you, just drawing you to himself. Can you imagine if, we, if, if, our, if our nation, with all of our sin, experienced a repentant spirit. The people of Nineveh do. They're overwhelmed by an awareness of their sin. It's not just because Jonah gave this eloquent sermon. It's, it's just God. It's just the, the spirit of God falling on people. Their hearts are, are so broken. They're, they're, God, we've been so far off, off track. We've been so wrong. And, and they repent the, the best that they know how. And I love this. We're told how God responds to their repentance. We read it in the last verse of chapter 3. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, he relented. He forgives. He shows mercy. These, these people turning from their, their wickedness, and God just gives them grace. God gives them another chance. By the way, God is all about that. God is the God of another chance. Isn't that good news? God is the God of another chance for your life. Some of you maybe don't need another chance. I know I need another chance. Anybody this morning need another chance? I think so. We all need another chance, and God is a God of that. Well, Jonah looks at all of this, and you'd think he'd be over the moon, 
he'd be thrilled. This is the greatest spiritual achievement of his entire ministry. A whole great city of Assyrians are, are brought to God through his preaching, even though it was a lame sermon. Because, uh, by the way, folks, when, when God moves, it's not about human effort. Jonah's never been used by God like this. But Jonah 4, verse 1 says, but all this was grievous to Jonah, a great evil, and he was very angry. Jonah can't take it. (laughs) This can't happen. He looks at Nineveh repenting and being forgiven by God, and he says, this is evil. Not just evil. What kind of evil? Great evil. There's that word again. This is, by the way, the only time in the story that these two words are brought together. What is great to God, great to Nineveh, God forgiving the Ninevites, is great evil to Jonah. Funny thing is, is Jonah was okay as long as the grace of God was coming to him. Think think him being rescued by a fish in the sea, which was the greatest grace. But now it's going to Nineveh. And Jonah's not okay. Jonah, at this moment, is is very ticked with God. And and here's the thing. At at the start of this book, to to any Israelite that was reading it, to to you and and to me, we think that God's big problem is, what are you going to do about the Ninevites? You know, what are you going to do, God, about this wicked, vile city? I mean, we we know this was one of the most violent peoples on the face of the earth. Grand and horrific injustice sin city. And we think think God's big problem is, what are you going to do about Nineveh? Turns out that's not God's big problem. God's big problem is, what am I going to do about Jonah? What am I going to do about about the man of God with a smug and superior and, and resentful heart? That's God's big problem. Now, it's fascinating what happens next. Jonah prays. This is the second time that Jonah prays in the book of Jonah. The first time he prays when he's desperate, when he's in the fish, he's, he's in the water, and it looks like he's going to die, and he wants to live, and he, so he's crying out to God, God, save me. Let me live. Forgive my disobedience. And God gives him grace, and then God gives grace to Nineveh through Jonah. But the second time, this is what he prays. Please, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still at home? This is what I tried to stop by fleeing to Tarshish. I I, I know you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, please take away my life. It is better for me to die than to live. (laughs) It's an unbelievable prayer, right? First time Jonah's going to die and he prays, God, let me live. Second time, he's in the midst of this amazing triumph, and he says, God, let me die. (laughs) Now, now I'm not thinking that he truly wanted to die. This is like an adolescent who wants to get his own way. And his own way is is God exacting his judgment on, on Nineveh, right? Let him have it, God. And in his prayer, he actually says, please. He says, please, a couple of times. Now, don't get me wrong, I don't think Jonah was being polite here. This is more like a two-syllable please. Please, God, please. You gotta be kidding. You're giving grace to Nineveh? What's with that? There's something else going on in this this prayer that that I don't know that would be obvious to us, but it's, 
would be certainly apparent to its first readers. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. He's actually quoting here the most famous confession of God's identity in the nation of Israel. This, this harkens back to Exodus 34 and 33, where Moses is on Mount Sinai. He's just received the Ten Commandments. And, and Moses asks God this fairly bold question. It's kind of like this. He says, God, show me your glory, which is kind of like, God, I want to know who you are. I, I love this, this passage. If you ever want an interesting read, read those two chapters. But, but I love how God responds to him. He says, you know what, Moses? I, I love that you want that. I don't think you could handle my glory. If you were to see my face, you'd die. And so God says, I'm going to show you. I'm actually going to walk by, and you're going to only see my back. And, uh, and we're told that God walks by. Moses is in the cleft of the rock. And, and God says, I, the Lord, am gracious and compassionate. He, he goes on to say these, these amazing words that express not just his name, but his character and, and his heart. And, and, and this text would go on to become one of the most celebrated and holy texts of the people of Israel. Every Israelite would, would know the words by heart, kind of like we know the words to the song, Happy Birthday. And Jonah's prayer to, to our English ears sounds like he's being very complimentary to God. You're, you're gracious, you're compassionate, you're all these things. But Jonah, when he recites these words from ex- Exodus describing God, he omits an entire section from Exodus. Any Israelite would have noticed this. It, it's like if, if I was doing a wedding and, and I said to the couple, for, for better, for richer, in health, anybody who's been to a wedding before would know that I left something out there, right? It's, it's for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. By the way, in, in, in our vows, when, when Angel and I got married, I think it was Angel said something like, my money's my money, and your money's my money. I think that was our vows, how that went. That's how I remember it. Yeah, shake your head, but I think so. Jonah's doing something. When you leave something out significant like that, it's saying something. And, and Jonah, he's, he's, he's making a point here. He's leaving out this whole section at the end where God says he actually does not leave the wicked unpunished that he actually deals with wickedness to the third and fourth generation. And and what Jonah's saying here is, is God, sure, you're compassionate, but are you just? I mean, letting these guys off the hook, are you just? Sure, you're slow to anger, but it seems to me you let the rule breakers off scot-free. Any any Israelite reading this would have got it, would have seen it. Jonah's attacking the character of God. Grace, sure, abounding in grace, but what about truth and justice, God? You said you were going to blast him, and I took you at your word. I told him 40 days, Nineveh, and it's Thanos snapped the finger time, right? That's for those of you who don't know, that's for a Marvel Universe, you know, reference that was hoping to be culturally relevant. It obviously fell flat on its face. Whatever. Every one of you, go out and watch, you know, the Marvel series, just for some education. Jonah, great morality plays, by the way. 
Jonah's like, what's worse is, I'm going to go back to Israel, and they're going to maybe get the idea that I like Nineveh. And the fact is, I don't like Nineveh. And, and God, I, I thought you didn't like Nineveh. Writer Anne Lamott says, she says, you can tell you've made God in your image when it turns out he hates all the same people you do. <laughs> well, God is, is so patient with, with Jonah. Jonah goes on this little tantrum, and it's going to look to, uh, pardon me, he belittles God's character, and all God says in return is this line, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah doesn't give an answer. Jonah gives God the silent treatment. Jonah, I think, could be from Coquitlam. <laughs> the next part of the story, we're told Jonah went out and he sat down at a place east of the city and he waited to see what's going to happen. Why did he wait? He's still holding out. He's still thinking, 40 days, maybe God will come through and it will be Sodom and Gomorrah time for Nineveh. They'll get blasted. And then in the story, there's this, this odd little vignette, this little story. If you've ever read through the book, you may have been wonder, wondering about this. Such an amazing story. Then the Lord God provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. That word provide is, is going to reoccur here. It's the same word uh, used in chapter 1 when God provided the fish in chapter 1. And, and Jonah was very happy about the plant. We're going to come back to that. But at dawn, the next day, God provided a worm. That doesn't sound so nice, does it? Which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But jo God said to Jonah, he's asking another question here, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. Now, does that seem just a little bit immature to anybody? <laughs> like, like God's talking to a five-year-old here? Something's going on here that that's, folks is going way deeper than Jonah just getting a sunburn or, or being, feeling warm in the sun. Last weekend, privileged to be part of the Encounter God's Presence weekend that we had here at Hillside, and one of the things, the topics they tackled was listening to the voice of God. And uh, Jesus said those great words in John, that my sheep, my followers, hear my voice. And as we grow in a relationship with God, we ought to be able to expect to hear God's voice. And I'm, I'm so grateful for the moments where God, and, and I, I know it's God, because he a thought comes into my head that I know is, is from him and it wasn't from me, or, or words or a phrase. I had many, that happened many times. I love listening to God like that. Now, at the same time, my wife does seem to say that I'm listening challenged, that I have a difficult time listening. I, I, there may be some truth there, but I, I just think I have selective hearing. You know, some limitations in there. And it's not just with her. I actually have selective hearing with God. Sometimes I, I find the words don't get through to me, even though I hear them a lot. Um, I remember uh, how early in our marriage, uh, Angel and I, uh, I, I actually took our, our savings, which were significant to us at the time, and invested them in a stock uh, in, a, in a friend's company. And we thought we were going to get rich because it was a great tip. Turns out we lost it all. The entire investment, gone. 
And uh, I remember that being like a lesson from God. That was the voice of God to us during that time. In fact, uh, as we walked that out, both Angel and I felt like God was untangling us from the love of money for a season. He's had to do it many times since then, by the way. Because money, man, it's so seductive. Uh, Greed is just so real in our culture. It's either greed or fear when it comes to money, I think. But but for a time, this this lesson of actually losing money, and, and, and Angel and I would say the freedom we experienced after that for a number of years was worth every penny that we lost. God will use any method to get through to his people, and he did this with the prophets of old in the Old Testament. We see examples of him not just speaking, because sometimes his people would get dulled to his voice, and so he performed sometimes. He'd have these prophets actually perform these little dramas. So he had Hosea, the the Old Testament prophet, actually married an an adulteress. He married a, a woman who was a prostitute in order to illustrate what it was like for God and, and, and for him as, a, as our husband of the people of God to experience the, the disloyalty and, and infidelity of his people. Um, another prophet, Ezekiel, kind of a funny story, and I don't quite get it, but he climbs up on a platform. God tells him to climb up on a platform, and he lies down on one side on this platform in public view for 390 days. For more than a year, he's lying there all to kind of illustrate the coming justice of God. But here in this little drama, in, in the book of Jonah, it, in this last chapter, it's, it's not God using Jonah for this purpose. Jonah's not the drama. He's not the actor here. God's the actor. God's the one who sends a plant. God sends a worm. God sends this wind. And Jonah, Jonah's the audience. He's trying to get through to Jonah. He wants to save Jonah, not Nineveh now. He's trying to save Jonah. And we read Jonah has gone east of the city. Scholars tell us that this was not some uh, random geographical you know, fact in the story. Uh, Israel was located on the Mediterranean Sea. So the, the sea was west of them. And to the east of Israel was all of their enemies. Their, their, is, their, their enemies were to the east. The, the east came to to became to Israel the place of the enemies of the people of God. You might remember this. When Adam and Eve uh, left the Garden of Eden, where did they go? They went east of Eden. That's where we get that phrase. Uh, Cain, when he kills his brother Abe, we're told that Cain goes to the, the land of Nod, which is east of Eden. Now Jonah is, is going east. He could have gone any direction, but it mentions here that he's sitting east of the city to the place of God's enemies. Now, Jonah's in the, in the boiling sun, and God here does an unexpected thing. Jonah's just mad. He's, he's mad about Nineveh. He's sitting in the sun, and God sends shade. That, that's full of meaning for any Israelite reader. For, for Israel, for a desert people, shade is a loaded image. You see this all the time in the Old Testament. Uh, Psalm 121, it, in verse 5, it says, The Lord is your shade at your right hand, The sun will not harm you by day. God will protect you as shade. In Psalm 17, it says, Hide me in the the shade of your wings from the wicked who assail me. Hide me from my mortal enemies who surround me. Psalm 91, one of my favorite passages. They who dwell in the shadow of the Most High will 
rest in the shade of his wings. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament, you get this, this image. Shade means to be under the, the protection of God. Protection from what? Your enemies. Their enemies. In fact, the phrase that, that says the plant was to ease Jonah's discomfort, literally in the Hebrew text, would say to, to deliver them from evil. Does that ring any bells with anybody? It's the phrase we have in the Lord's Prayer, deliver us from evil. It's the word in this book. And, and Jonah knew where evil was. It was out there. It was Nineveh. It was those people who aren't like me. The, that's why Jonah's very happy about the leafy plant in the text, by the way. When the plant grows up and provides him shade, we're told, Jonah rejoiced in the plant with exceeding great joy. He's very happy about the leaf because to Jonah, it's not just about shade. It's about protection. God's going to protect his people. God's going to destroy their enemies. And that's why Jonah is so happy about the plant. He's rejoicing in the destruction of the people he hates. Nineveh's going down. The shade's coming up. Nineveh's going down. It's a funny thing. You know, when, when Jonah received grace when he hit bottom, and, and now he's offended by grace when it's given to somebody else. Jonah has this superior, judgmental, unloving heart. And folks, here's the thing. God has a harder time saving Jonah than he did saving Nineveh. It's a funny thing. You know, when Jesus came, the, the people he had the hardest time reaching were not the people you'd, you'd uh, normally expect, the, the sinners, you know, the, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, the drunks, the people that you'd kind of obviously associate with a place like Nineveh. The people Jesus had a hardest time with were, were the people who considered themselves spiritually together, spiritually mature. They had, they had superior and, and judgmental and, and unloving hearts. It's a funny thing. George Barna has, has done a lot of research on, on faith issues in our day, and he consistently has found that the main traits people outside the church associate with Christians are superior, judgmental, unloving attitudes and hearts. And, and maybe they're all wrong, and, and, and maybe, you know, it's a way of copping out from their own, or dealing with their own sin, but maybe... I can find myself being a little bit like Jonah. Maybe I have Jonah in me because I can find myself putting people into categories and <laughs> that let me dismiss them just out of hand. Uh, not long ago, I was, uh, I was driving along and somebody cut me off and I got really mad. Anybody ever get mad while they're driving? Yeah, just, just a couple of honest people in the room. Thank you. Yeah, I agree. Um, and, and, and so I'm feeling just this fury at this other person. And I don't even think they necessarily knew what they had done. But here's, here's what happened. They ended up pulling into the same parking lot that I was doing, the coffee shop I was going to. And I'm, here I'm thinking, this is God-ordained. This is great. I have a little sermon I want to preach to this person. You know, and, and so I actually they pull into a spot, I pull in right next to them, and I'm thinking that this is a teachable moment for this woman, 
And, and I get out of the car, and she gets out of her car, and we look at each other, and she says, Pastor Derwin, it's great to see you. How are things at Hillside? And I got to tell you, folks, I, had, I still to this day have no idea who she was. It's like I'd never seen her before. I suspect this was an angel of God. What, what I thought was a teachable lesson for her became a teachable lesson for me. And, and, and I'm responding, oh, great, nice to see you, nice to meet you. How are things? I, I changed on a dime. <laughs> it's the strangest thing because all, all of a sudden, one instant, this is an anonymous person, not who hurt me. Not, they, they, they transform from being a person who, you know, I saw as just a driver. I'd reduced them to just a driver on the road, and then all of a sudden, it became a real person. They knew me. We were, we were connected. <laughs> it's a funny thing. You know, somebody else does something wrong. You know, they, they violate a rule, especially if I think I get hurt by it. Then what do I want? I want justice. I hope they get what's coming to them. <laughs> I do something wrong. I violate some rule. I mean, the blue light's flashing in my rearview mirror, and and I'm, I'm interacting with an officer of the law, I'm not crying out for justice. I'm crying out for mercy. I'm crying out for grace. I, I love how somebody put this. Justice is when you get what's coming to you. Mercy is, is when you don't get what's coming to you. And grace is when you get what's not coming to you. Isn't that good? How many times do I forget what Jonah forgot, you know? <laughs> and I wish I had a more profound way of saying this, but I'll just put it as simply as I can. People matter to God. What kind of people? All people matter to God. All people. People matter to God. I want you to imagine for a moment, think about the, the person in this world or people group that you're most likely to dislike or you're most likely to, to be angry at, or frustrated by, or think of the dirtiest, lowliest, most perverse, think of someone who, a, a type of person who makes you so angry, or frustrated, or hurt. You have that person in your mind? God looks at that person and says, I love that person, I love that guy as much as I've loved any human being. People matter to God. The jobless guy, the, the, the addict, the homeless guy, the, the wealthy, successful guy, they just, they just matter to God. God is, is not like me. God doesn't separate people into categories like I do and think people in this category are my kind of people. I like people that are like that. They, they're my kind of people. But people in that category over, over there, I can let go of them without a thought. People matter to God. Depressed people, I mean, educated people, divorced people, people with different politics than yours, they matter to God. Conservative people, liberal people, Muslims, Hindus, atheists, New Age people, every color and race of people, gay people, transgendered people, LGBTQ people, young people, old people, People matter to God, every single one of them. 
And, and, and here's the thing, when one of them is separated by God, separated from God by sin, and we've all been separated by, from God by sin, we've all been Nineveh, we've, we've all been Jonah, it drives God's cra- God crazy. It tears him up inside. It breaks his heart. He can't sleep at night. He says, what will I do? Jesus says, I'll go, Father. I'll go to Nineveh. You know, I'll I'll go to Vancouver. I'll go to Coquitlam and New West and and Poco. And Jesus did. He came. He came to tell us what God was like. And, And we hung him on a cross. Folks, that was the great evil. All the evil, all the darkness, all of the the brokenness in this world coming onto Jesus. But God, but God, but God on that cross was doing something profoundly great. But God, our God on that cross was reconciling this world to himself. And you know the justice that Jonah was demanding of God? God was actually exacting that justice upon himself on the cross. He paid the price for it all. He suffered for our injustice. Jesus was, Jesus was overcoming injustice and hate and violence and bigotry and brokenness of the world with the power and beauty of sacrificial love. They put Jesus' body in the tomb because they thought, well, that's all there is to do with that. On the third day, the, the, the God who, who once spoke to a, a great fish with Jonah deep, deep down in the sea, on the third day, God spoke to the stone, and it rolled away, and Jesus rose from the grave. He rose again, and, and he began this, this new community. <laughs> There, there'd never been a community like this before where, where nobody was an outsider. When, when, when anybody who wanted in and was willing to repent got to be a son or a daughter. I mean, Jew, Gentile, slave, free, rich, poor, Roman, barbarian, male, female. Didn't make a difference because people matter to God. The church, see, is, is the one place in all of the world where there's no such word as foreigner. Countries have that word. Cultures have that word. God never looks at a human being and, and, and says foreigner. He says, I want you for my son. I want you for my daughter. People matter to God. One more piece of the story, and here's where it gets real personal. This is the way the story ends If you've read the story, you've noticed this before, and it might seem kind of strange to you. God's talking to Jonah. Jonah's ticked about Nineveh and the plant, the whole deal. And God goes through this little parable. Here's the payoff. Jonah, you've been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh? He closes the the book with this this word again, that, that word great again. He says, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, 
But, uh, that was a way of saying they're, they're lost. They're confused. They're, they're absolutely broke. They got nothing. And, and I love that last line, and a lot of animals. <laughs> and a, a lot of cattle. Don't you love that? I'm concerned about the cows too, God says. You're supposed to laugh at this point because it's a comedy. This is a comedy. Love wins. Love wins. When sin wins, everybody loses. Even creation loses. Even creation gets mistreated. Sin is the violation of God's order, God's shalom, God's beauty, God's grace. When grace wins, it's good news for everybody. It's good news even for Nineveh. It's even good news for the cows. Isn't that great? When grace wins. God looks at all that and, and, and gives Jonah this little parable, and he asks this question, and this is kind of the climax of the story. Jonah, you're concerned about your little shade. You know, you're concerned about Israel, and you want to have Nineveh blasted. It, he says, if it's right for you to be concerned about some people, isn't it right for me to be concerned about all people? Shouldn't we want grace to come to everybody? When you're reading, you kind of want to know what Jonah's going to say. How's Jonah going to respond? You, you hope he gets it right. You hope he says, you're wishing for this moment. Oh God, I, I've been such a fool. I've been so smug. I've been so superior and re resentful. God, I'm sorry. Forgive me and make me a vessel of your grace. God, give me a tender heart like yours. Help me, help me to get this right. Or will he just hold on to his arrogance and his self-justified, self-righteous, stupid pride? We actually never find out. It's the oddest ending. The story just ends with Jonah sitting there. Doesn't that, that drive you a little crazy? Isn't that a crummy way to end a story? Like It's like the credits jump in and you, you really haven't heard you know, the whole deal yet. Why would a writer do that, leave all these things unresolved? I, I don't think he, it's because he couldn't think up a good ending to the story. It's because the point of the story is not that Jonah had a decision to make. The point of the story is that you have a decision to make. And I have a decision to make. It, it's our story. It's, we're, we're left hanging because we're meant to, to have this story resonate with us and keep us up at night as we think about how are we going to respond what will we say to our gracious God? Because it's our story now. I'm going to invite you. We're going to have a, just an opportunity to pray. And so if you bow your heads with me, close your eyes, a little time with God. I'm going to give you just a few moments to, to, to speak with him, to remember that our God is here in our midst. In a couple moments, we're going to celebrate communion but before we do that, let's take a few moments of quiet to give thanks for the grace of God and how that grace comes to everybody. And maybe this morning God has put... A his finger on an aspect of your life that is proud. Or you've got some sense of superiority or self-righteousness or in some way you're a little smug. And God in his grace asks you the question, is that right? 
Is, is that right that you ignore the needs of those people? Is that, that right that you hold on to that injustice or that hate? Don't you know how much people matter to me? Funny, you might even feel like this morning, preach it, Derwin. Love what you're saying. But there's maybe even a sense of superiority or judgmentalism that you have towards people who feel superior and judgmental. Isn't that weird? That's not freedom, folks. God wants to free you from that too. There's no room for any of that. We all stand in need of God's grace at the cross. Whatever God's saying, whatever God's identified, just be open to repenting to him, turning to him, offering that to him. God promises to be gracious and forgiving. He offers you grace today. And so, God, we thank you this morning for your awesome grace. Father, forgive us when we, in our stupidity and pride, turn around and are ungracious to other peoples or people groups. Would you do a work in us, God, deep down? Uh, change us, we pray. We don't want to go that way anymore, Lord. Forgive us and cleanse us from our prejudices, from our judgmentalism, God, from our sense of superiority. Jesus, forgive us for how we've not modeled Jesus to the world. We want to turn from that. Help us, Lord, to be humble like you, gracious like you. We pray, help us to love like you do. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to celebrate now the Lord's Supper, this beautiful act of Jesus where he said, take and eat the, the bread and the cup, symbolizing what he was going to do for us on the cross. We look to the cross during communion, during the supper, remembering what he did. I was, th I was thinking about this about how God showed Moses his back. He walked by and showed his character in his back and, and that uh, he couldn't see, see God's face and live. And then Jesus comes. And Jesus is God in the flesh. God moved into the neighborhood. The word became flesh. And suddenly God becomes visible to us. We see what God is like. Turns out God is just like Jesus. All of his love, all the, of his compassion, the way he treated people, the way he loved people, the way he gave his life for people. We get to look into God's face when we look at the face of Jesus. But folks, Jesus also shows us his back. This morning I had an image of him walking through this place and he had his shirt off and we were looking at his back and it was crisscrossed with stripes and scars horrific wounds that he he bore for us. Isaiah, when he talked about Jesus' stripes on his back, he said, by his stripes, we're healed. We look to, we look to those scars, and, and I, I don't suspect that Jesus 
points to them as a point of pity. He says, this is how much I love you. This is what I did for you to, 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 to pay for injustice. The injustice that was meant for you, that, that we were meant to pay for our injustice, Jesus paid that on our behalf. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that really good? What a great God we have. What an awesome God. We love you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. By those scars, we experience grace like we never dreamed of. And this morning, I, I sense that as we take these elements, that God wants to pour more grace into your life. He wants to fill you up with grace. Wouldn't that be great if we walked around so filled up with grace that it couldn't help but overflow to the world around us? I think it'd be so great. Receive from this faith. When, you, when you're eating the bread and the, and the drink today, consume his grace. Just suck it in. I want it, Jesus. I want all you want to give me. I want your grace, Lord. And then when that ugly side of you that, that hates people raises its head, say, Jesus, I need more grace. Give me more grace. Deal with that, Jesus. I don't want that anymore. Amen? Just, you can do that. God, Jesus wants to change you. He wants to change that part of you, that ugly part of you. He wants to make you the most gracious person you've ever dreamed of. And you can be that in Christ's name. So, so here at Hillside, we practice an open communion. That means you don't have to be a member of this church to participate. And so we encourage you just to come down the, the two aisles. And, and we ask you to take a piece of the bread and to dip it in the juice. And you can eat that. It's just Welch's. It's not wine, but it's representing the, the new wine we have in Christ. There's a gluten-free option here. Please reserve that entirely for for those who have that need. But come through the, the, the center aisles and then return to your seats by the, the, by the back. But if you love Jesus and you want to love him more, this most gracious act is open to you. So come now. These are the gifts of God for the people of God.
give you this benediction, this good word. As you go from here, remember this. Because of the work of the Holy Spirit within us, we are the sons and daughters of God. We've been adopted into his family. God is truly our father. So therefore, go in confidence and peace, knowing that the love of God, our father, the grace the such wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship and the intimacy of the Holy Spirit go with us all. Amen. Amen. Hey, uh,
great to be together this morning. Happy Father's Day. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Anything, we'll pray with you. You come up to the front. And, but uh, back there, uh, those of you who need a sugar fix, Krispy Kremes, just for you today. Go help yourself. Uh, it's in church. There's no calories associated with them at all. God bless you as you go. me. to me I